Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, everyone. It's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone spelled woe period begone wherever you listen to podcasts or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts have fun and see you later Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the cast of the Magnus Archives reacting to their favourite clips from the show. Let's jump straight in with this gem. Is everything alright, Martin? Oh, it's fine. Don't particularly like it down here. Ah, yes, of course. Hard to trust the doors, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, well, everyone else seems to these days, so... But she's still the same corridors, I suppose. I'm sure... What was his name? Tim! Tim I'd would... really rather not talk about it, Peter. Very well. This way. Look, are you sure about that map? I'm pretty certain the tunnels change. Oh, don't worry about that. Ink's practically still wet. Not to mention, if they do change, well, I happen to have something that will change them back. This is my favourite line in the whole show. That's a lightener. It is. And the, um, the blood on it? That's Lightner, too. Yes. <laughs> right. Do you want to see how it works? Uh, n- no, no, I'd really rather you didn't mess no, with I it. No, I insist. Watch. Oh, Peter. 
you end so very, very badly, but good grief, you're glorious before you go. Uh, <laughs> I had to record that entire final episode three times. There was some absolutely one in a million technical fault when I recorded it on site with Johnny, which meant it was lost. And then I recorded it at home in the Batcave, as you see, and the acoustics couldn't quite work. So I ended up going back out a second time. And Peter went out hard, is what I'm saying, you know? You're hoping right up to the last minute they might change their mind. <laughs> Just say, oh, it turns out he wasn't yeeted into the sun. He had an escape capsule, did he? No. No, he's dead. <laughs> you insufferable, insufferable old man. I miss him. I really do. <laughs> I loved how he went out. I loved that he absolutely is going to win, and then he just drops off. It's a similar the way, I mean, Simon with the awful deep. It just wasn't a very good idea. Exactly. I remember a couple of months before the show finished talking to Zalia about how there was a, a couple of fan communities that Peter hadn't died, he just retired. And that there was this cabin on the shore of a Scottish lock somewhere, and he was just quite happy by himself reading his books. We eventually concluded was that when the world does end and the panopticon rises and Elias sees everything, Peter's life carries on pretty much as normal. I mean, it's not like the monsters are going to touch him. It's just he takes a little bit of time and modifies his umbrella a little bit. So when he goes out for walks, there is an enormous middle finger on top of it. <laughs> oh. Oh, no. Get down! Oh, heck. Oh. Daisy, oh. out of the way! Let it go! Get out of the way! Take the shot! No, you'll hit John! Uh, take the shot, Basira! Oh. Basira, do it! Don't! You can't! Daisy, stop! Please! <laughs> oh, God. Daisy. Daisy, please let me go. Ah, ah, or not, or not. Sarah. I know. But John... I know. Just give me a second. Basira. She knows who I am. She recognises me. Basira. Daisy, come back to us. You can come back. Please. Basira. Come. Come on. What? Come. Got to get them. I... This one sure. was difficult. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. The sheer amount of a conflicted emotion you must have had to put into that. How did you find it? Yeah. Because, like, Basira and Daisy's, like, story is about loyalty, mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. And for as, like, stalwart and righteous as she generally is, mm -hmm. it's really obvious from as soon as you meet Daisy that, like, Basira is always looking to turn a blind eye for Daisy. Yeah, that was made so much more explicit in processing line? Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. When you're literally processing it. <laughs> yeah. God, that one was hard to do as well. I remember listening to that going, Jesus, this, the layers that you had to put into this. Because, yeah, I mean, because I feel like Aside from the fact that it would just be easy to give in to the hunt, mm. there's always going to be a part of her that is just like, I just want to be with my partner because that's where I know myself and that's where I am safe and that's what I understand. And that's my partner who I've poured these years of trust into. And compromise as well. I saw some commentary that would be like, after Daisy came out of the buried, that was like, I don't feel like Basira is being very fair. I feel like Basira only cared about Daisy when she was like with the hunt and she was strong. And it's like, she has never had to be strong for Daisy before. 
Daisy has always been the strong one and now she's like, cool, I've got to do that. I've got to balance all this horrible trauma. <laughs> and then it comes to this point where Daisy's gone back to the hunt and it's like, oh, this is so much worse than it ever had to be. Thought I wanted this, turns out not so much. Yeah. Listening to this, I went out for a long walk at night, I think this one and the previous one, because I've been putting off listening to them. Mm-hmm. Something quite difficult about the idea, because essentially, for me, it's a goodbye to Magnus. That was the last I was going to be voicing that character, despite the fact, you know, you can barely hear it's me. I got into quite a backlog, because I just couldn't bring myself to listen. And it was brilliantly done. I just, hats off to everyone there, but also, yeah, that must have been so hard to do. I can imagine it took me like two months to listen to the final episode. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Just because I was like, that's it. It's over. This is... The end of Magnus, the end of Basira. Goodness, we're rather tetchy, aren't we? We've not been having an easy journey. John, what? It's true, we haven't. Well, in that case, thank you for swinging by to my huge corner of the apocalypse. <laughs> we don't get many visitors these days and... Drop me well, in for a long weekend. You might Come be on, the closest thing wine. the universe has ever had to an important person. Oh, I, um... I mean... Obviously, you're still ultimately finite and all that, but altering the very fabric of reality, that's... That's pretty good. Simon being impressed. I love it. That's enough. In the most low-key way possible. Do it. Blimey. Uh, Do what? (laughs) Kill him. Uh, Hang on. Can he do that? He can, and he's going to. Oh, 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 right. Um, Seems seems a bit bit rude, to be honest. John, just give me a In moment. Fact, yes. I, you know what? I'll, I'll probably just be going then. I'd prefer to keep existing if it's all the same to you. Um, John! I... Been lovely chatting to you. Good to see you both. Feel free to pop by again when you're feeling less um, murdery. John! Bye! Bye! <laughs> Feel free to stop by when you're feeling less murdery. <laughs> oh, glorious. It's Simon's arc across that, though, where he goes from hello, chaps, to oh, oh dear. Best be off. You need to remain very calm and don't make any sudden movements. Oh, okay, now I'm worried. I'm about to die. Excuse me. Spoilers. <laughs> Sorry. Don't you, you need spoilers at this move. point. And don't you say a word or I'll cut him open. I know what the voice of yours can do, so shut it. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can talk, but slow like. You try and do any of that word magic and he's dead. Understood. Hello, Trevor. John, what's going on? It's okay. Trust me. Okay? It's not okay. Stop smiling John I know you keep saying we're safe and I am feeling very calm but just so I know can he can he kill me he could this is my death I asked for my death to be played back because I enjoyed it you died off stage I know (laughs) very inglorious end which I thought was so sad I used it in the Trevor thing of like Mm. I didn't get to be there with you and I will get upset now about this because mm. it upset me that Trevor wasn't there for you as well. 
And that played into the tragedy of this moment for me. It was like, oh. Yeah, I think that really did layer into it. And you can tell it in your performance. It's so incredibly full and beautiful and honest and raw. And I think that is, you know, that sadness of not being able to be there for someone who took on your child role, if you will. I mean, not very much officially, because, of course, it was dysfunctional no. in its respect as well. But... You know, and I think for me, when I look back and think about Julia's end, she always had you. And then before that, she was, was just incredibly overly independent. And so I think there was a real tragedy to that end. Yes, definitely. And again, the direction made everything sing. And this, I think, was one of the first times, because this was right at the start of COVID lockdown. I think if we weren't the first recording in the new setup, we were very close, I think. Mm. So everyone was learning everything anew, but the direction was on point, the sound design is on point again, and just the choices of the clips and the performance that they've put together make such a lovely end. Absolutely, and I think also there's no fat in the words, there's nothing that's excess, everything has a meaning and an importance and like helps with the storytelling and the pathos, and I think, yeah, it was just so beautifully written and acted that it's an incredibly memorable moment for me. I need to ask you, because have you ever done a death on stage or in any production? Have I ever died on stage? I was trying to think. Oh, there I go. There I go. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like a little whimper, like you've been sent out back. Oh, it's so sad. It's old yellow. It is literally old yellow, isn't it, this? You didn't deserve it. But when I was younger, I was in a a massive production of The Mysteries, and I think maybe I got overcome by a locust at some point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a way to, just one locust, it's very big. One locust, that maybe I just breathed it in and choked, no one could give me the Heimlich, that'd be awful. <laughs> I don't know that I have died in many things that I've done. I've definitely, I was a murderer in one of the things I did, just went round like snapping people's necks. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah, you know, just a bit of casual. I mean, I think if you look at the science behind it, I probably wouldn't have been able to have done what I did. <laughs> no, but it's theatre, so, you know, it can do anything. Absolutely. Suspension of disbelief. Magic what if. I got to play Polonius once, who has a lovely death, and there was a staircase, so I decided to die down the stairs. Was that a regrettable decision? Well, it hurt. I'm going to be honest with you, it hurt, (laughs) but it looked fabulous, and everybody said it looks fabulous, so I was like, no, we're keeping that in. Amazing. I like a good death scene, you know, because it means you've seen the story through to the end, hasn't it? Well, it were through to your end. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest with me, Hamlet ends when Polonius dies. I don't see why you would go on. It's just a very moany man. (laughs) It must have epilogue. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. It's really hard to die well. You know everyone's looking for your breathing. That's the thing. So you shallow breathe and you blink slowly. And I got away with it. Nobody saw me. Well done. Still doing that now. Well, hey, I think it's a good way to live life. (laughs) Shallow breathe and blink slowly. (laughs) Please put that on a t-shirt, somebody. I tell you my absolute favourite thing about any of this is how incredible all the fans are and the fan art. The amount oh, of incredible please. stuff I've seen drawn about, like, us, Julia, like the whole Magnus archives is just off the chain. I've still got as my Facebook banner. Yeah. I'm sat down and you're stood up and it's a beautiful bit of comic fan art. I love it. 
I've got all of the names written down of who people are. I can't off the top of my head remember, but I've followed a lot of them on social medias and stuff and and I've shared them and been like, I'm in this incredible production and look at these really talented people who love the production and look at what they've done. And then people have been just so blown away that I've shared it. And I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't realise what an impact I'd have on someone. So it's just really gorgeous all round. Thank you so much for your love and your generosity. Do you know we're on a tarot pack? I didn't know that. I mean, this is unofficial somebody's done a tarot pack an unofficial tarot pack and i did contact and say does trevor get a card yes trevor gets a card (laughs) so i'm assuming you do too oh that would be amazing what do you think would mean if somebody pulled julia's card what's the meaning i think that it is a period of intense forthrightness and being able to say no there's no yeses that aren't warranted or needed or wanted in that person's future they're going to be able to advocate for themselves and set very clear very strong boundaries i think that's what that means (laughs) (laughs) what about trevor's card what does that infer you're probably going to have a shit time and your knees won't be working very well. <laughs> Bit of kidney pain. Yeah, kidney pain, just general arthritis. Nice, all right, well, look forward to getting that card in the deck. <laughs> Fabulous. The last thing before I leave you, one thing that I read that someone had written on Tumblr about Juliet, they said, she sounds like she wears a leather jacket. And I was like, yes, mate. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> she definitely does. And I think Trevor probably sounds like he smells like deep heat. He absolutely does. He's got tiger bum. <laughs> He's <laughs> going in Poundland picking up tubes of cheap deep heat. Can anybody smell wintergreen? Oh, it's Trevor. It's Trevor. I've got you rattled. I'm not scared of you. Helen, was that a lie? No. A lie. A genuine untruth. Like a little bit of loose thread flitting in the breeze. Fine. You can go. There's the door. Just go. Ceaseless watcher. No. See this lie. This golden strand of falsehood. Take it in your gaze and pull it. Follow through its curves and twists and knots as it unravels all before you. Unweave it now. Its fear and its falsehood. Its hidden teeth and the ones it wears so proudly. Take all that it is and all that it has. It is yours. Oh, I was so gutted to have to record her last bit. I really like lobbying for her right up to the end, telling Johnny about ways, you know, maybe she could be redeemed and the original Helen could come back. And the other thing was, because obviously started off recording her with some blankets in a hall in a flat and then had the, you know, the glory years in between where we had that lovely studio. And then right at the end, obviously, it was COVID and lockdown. So I was back in a flat under some blankets, recording her where we'd started. Oh, I'm sorry. It has symmetry. There was, there was a kind of symmetry to it. She was magnificent in her time. Well, I mean, definitely, like, in this bit, when he's saying, you know, when he's killing her, I was allowed to just beg for my life. (laughs) (laughs) Even up to the moment, I was like, if I can find the right thing to say, if I can say the right thing to Johnny, that I could just trip him up and he just won't complete this. Sadly... He was not for being persuaded. That's really good direction. The fact that you were given the space to do that. There were a few sort of beats to hit, but obviously there would have been a lot of 
space of me just waiting quietly to die. And I'm like, I don't think Helen would go out like that. I think she would try every trick in the book. The most direction I ever got from Alex was on my death screen. We did like five takes of it. I had a couple of nice discussions about certain things. And spinning, I think he was homeschooled, don't you know, was a nice one to try and just get the level of cynicism and sort of snootiness just right. I think Alex gave me the direction. By this point, she's just the Cheshire cat. She's just grinning so hard. You know, she's going to disappear from the tail up because this is exactly what she wants. Um, except, you know, the tragedy that's about to happen. Ah, uh, Yes. The heroic archivist in his serial killer phase. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I always remember Darren Brown talking about linguistic jujitsu. The best way to diffuse a potentially confrontational situation is say something really stupid and unexpected. Like, my wall's only four feet high. <laughs> and if you can do that in between your teeth chattering, the other guy will often go, what? And then you can just run. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's about seizing control of the narrative. Exactly. Because all the time they are running it with, I don't know, demands for your wallet. I think one of the bravest things the show does as a whole, that moment quite early on in season five where Martin goes, you know what? The world's ended. Yeah. I choose violence. Let's kill them. Because it would be so easy for it to be, the, no, we must fix the world and put it back together in a way that is good. And the fact that little Martin Black was like, no, I want to stamp on these people's throats because they've done so many horrible things and my boyfriend can kick their ass. <laughs> it's just really cool. It's very nicely handled. Yeah, definitely. He's like, I've thought about this carefully and I think we should destroy them all. Martin, do you have any thoughts? Vengeance. <laughs> and justice. For such a nice boy, he does hold deep, deep reserves of hatred, doesn't he? <laughs> well, to be fair, he's been through a lot by this point. Like, <laughs> If we are going to fanboy about Mr. Newell, I have to say, I have never loved his delivery more than I think the final episode with the Elias. Elias. Oi, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> that was just so perfect. As someone who spent a lot of time in York, the fact that so much of Martin's season five survival strategies, hang on, I'm from the north, I'm not having this <laughs> is just so great. <laughs> the other thing I loved about season five, this is such a uniquely meta thing, it's the kind of thing that only someone like Johnny could do. I love that after a while, Martin gets a bit <laughs> off about the statements. <laughs> <laughs> It's at the exact point that they get all baroque and weird and Johnny's going full on into his kind of amazingly surreal Cronenbergian prose structures. And the reason why it doesn't become pretentious is because Martin's like, oh, come on. All right. I mean, that's not what most people look for in a boyfriend, is it? Like, is that... <laughs> no, exactly. And in a similar vein, I loved it when uh, Johnny was away the first time and they were all having to listen to all the statements of all the really rubbish ones. That might be my favourite episode. And that's even discounting the fact I show up for the first time in it. <laughs> Just the whole... So what happened? Well, it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> also the whole show is just really good and if somehow you're listening to this before listening to that firstly sorry about the spoilers and secondly you really should listen to all of it it's very good and if you like it good news there's loads yes so if you watch it and it's your thing you've got so much joy ahead of you i was live listening to the final episode with everyone else on discord and there was a certain moment where a million voices typed out in terror Simon! <laughs> I still say he should have died a different way. He should have run off a cliff expecting to fly and fallen, wily coyote-like, onto the ground <laughs> to get away from the people who are chasing him. With a moment of pause. Yeah, his, his last word should have just been, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, blast. <laughs> or, oh, no, not again.
Would that be too much of a cross-reference? <laughs> <laughs> I just, the phrase Paddington, but stabby just went through my mind and I won't soon leave. Oh, we had fun being evil, didn't we? Oh, yes. This was great. Oh, I know, I miss it. I've got to be nice all the time. It doesn't suit me. Always be secretly a bit evil. Still works. You found something? Just one of the old tape recorders. God. Tough little bastards, aren't they? Yep. No luck? No, still no sign of them. No bodies, though. It's a good sign, maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's time to accept that they're gone. Hmm. And honestly, it's probably for the best. I mean, I just don't think people would exactly be understanding. You remember what happened when they found Simon Fairchild? Yeah. And he's not just some powerless left-behind avatar. You know, we're talking I'll be honest, I want to know what happened to Simon Fairchild. Yeah, probably okay. just threw him into the sun, like he deserves. <laughs> Yeet! Do you know what's really odd? Mm -hmm. Talking to you on this, in my head I'm picturing you, but the soundscaping clicks in and I'm not hearing Frank, I'm hearing Basira kind of thing. Yeah. Similarly, Melanie and Georgie, they're, they're not... Yeah, I hadn't really noticed until I've got this juxtaposition right now. I had a friend who was commenting that, like, they don't picture... Well, that's John Archivist, that's not Johnny Sims, that's uh, Martin, that's not Alex Newell. And then they were like... But when I listen to Basira, I just hear you. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. And they were like, you have the same resting bitch tone. Thanks for that. Well, okay. I know I caused some cognitive dissonance my sister. So she started listening. I was like, okay. She really loves horror. Mm -hmm. And she just went, but that's not you. And I'm like, well, technically, no. It's Daisy. Then she looked at the fan art and then went, nope, that's just way too weird. <laughs> Daisy does not look like me. Any of the depictions, I think. I think a couple of people have drawn Basira to be like a little closer to me, but I don't, I don't feel like she does look anything like me. I've seen people, like, they've used my hair occasionally and I've gone, okay, you've clearly gone and looked at some photos. That's cute. <laughs> but mine is not very butch hair, so, and a lot of people are depicting... Daisy is pretty butch, so yeah. Daisy's the kind of person that goes to the forest and cuts her hair with a knife. <laughs> we uh didn't actually talk about that scene like at all. <laughs> I just realised. No, God, no. We just wanted. So how was it? How was it to do? It was satisfying, honestly. Now that I think about it, like I could go on and on about what does this mean in terms of character? Because I have probably thought more about the series character than literally anyone. If you write fanfic and you've done lots of introspection. No, it's still not as much as me. 10,000 words? No, try being trapped in my head. Oof. So I was really worried he was going to give me like a lengthy or just needlessly overwrought mm. exit. Because he had told me before that I would be having the closing line. Oh, wow. I don't know. It just felt really good. It just felt good to be really succinct, just to be like, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, it did fit. It fit with the character very well, just very pragmatic and very kind of like, well, there we are then. Yeah, because it's like, what else can I say? Nothing I say is going to change what we've done. 
Mm. And that's kind of the character Basira has always been. She's been an idealist wrapped in realist dressing. It's that interesting dichotomy of idealist and cynicist, isn't it? Yeah. Some of the most cynical people I know is because the world isn't living up to their ideals kind of thing, which are lofty as hell. So, yeah. She's a lapsed idealist. <laughs> oh, that's the thing with Magnus. You see everyone come in with what seems to be quite a clear-cut character and then it just shifts about. That's the thing I really, really enjoyed about it, even though I kind of had things slightly out of order. I didn't start listening into the thing until it was a little way into my episodes of season three, and I'm like, I should probably find out who it is I've just killed. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, I got into this routine of listening to them most days. And, you know, if you kind of binge it like that, you can see the arc quite swiftly, although I occasionally see stuff on social media where people have binged the entire thing in two or three days, and you go, okay... Did you sleep? How did you sleep? <laughs> I got really sick of turning up to record and just having Alex and Johnny be like, so as you know, and I'd be like, I don't know because I haven't listened to it because I don't <laughs> listen to this show. Same. So eventually I did just like binge everything up until that point. Mm -hmm. So it must have been like mid season three at that point. And I just binged the whole thing in like a week. Yeah, it's odd because I tend to do it while I'm walking. I have to do it while I'm doing something else. I also don't want it to be in my house at night just seemed like a bad idea. But there are these places in Cambridge which are now indelibly associated with some of those flashbulb scenes. So the apple and the teeth, there's a specific corner <laughs> of Parker's Peace in Cambridge, which is just that will always be the apple and the teeth. Do you have a favourite episode, Frank? Binary. Hands down, my favourite episode. I think it's one of my favourite things that Johnny's ever written, honestly. It's the one where the man eats the computer and then becomes inside the computer. Yes! I just have this physical memory of listening to that. Yeah. The way he describes like being stuck inside the programming, and I think it's the bit where he's like, it's too sharp. I don't fit in here. It's too sharp and it hurts. And I was like, oh, oh God, that's horrible. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> How about you? What would you say is your favourite? There's a few from like season three that really stick most of the spider ones so the bits like where the man slowly becomes more and more enmeshed in that kind of amanuensis puppetry stuff as he becomes less mobile that sticks with me for lots of reasons is that the one though with the guy that had like all the machinery installed in his house yes and he has threads through his limbs so that he's literally being puppeteered around the house oh yes yes that imagery really really sticks with me talking to spiders there's also visitor for mr spider whatever that one's called the one where we hear Johnny talking about his past for once. Oh, uh, yes, with the children's book. It's very, very good. But it's because it's such a switch up as well, because while the archivist kind of puts layers of himself over everything all the time, we're always seeing it through his perception, like almost exclusively. And that was interesting when the season started to open up and be, we heard from people without the archivist there. So you, weren't, you were hearing through several different viewpoints. That got interesting. Yeah. There's also episode 100 where you were all taking staples. <laughs> I, I just was not expecting it to be that funny. and just spent the entire time chortling, which is not where I'd set myself up to be. Oh, and the, I think it's one that Martin reads, which is about an actor playing to like an empty theatre or something like that. Again, I can only remember like images. It's very, very visceral. I tend to go by the ones where, where I can remember where I was when I was listening to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have a rambling answer for that. I don't have something nice and 
concrete. No, it's cool. I mean, it's cool that you remember stuff, I guess. <laughs> like, I remember when um, I was being asked, like, what scenes do you think would be good for this? And I was like, I don't remember anything. Same. I finished the Magnus Archives and deleted it from my memory. Yeah, it's been on, isn't it? It's just like, oh, okay, well, that's we can file that in a different part of the brain now. And so saying goodbye to it was quite... I don't know about you, that felt like a process I had to go through to feel like I was uncoupling myself from the thing. So then having to be Daisy again for that Magnus Fluff episode was just like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> okay, interesting. I'm going to have to re-channel this person who I haven't for a long time now. That was an odd one because like you, I'd kind of filed it. Magnus Archives is in past now. God, I couldn't imagine trying to go back to Basira now. I know it hasn't been like super long. I know I joke about how Basira's voice is just my voice, but it's not. It's not. No, your delivery is very, very different. Like she speaks in a different like part of her voice to where I do and she speaks differently. And mm-hmm. just trying to go back to that now, I think would be really difficult. Yeah. A different personality comes through. Mm. It's obviously, it's your voice, but it's also, it's Basira. Yeah. There's a definite sort of shift. At least I've got like a specific accent to kind of fall back on. <laughs> Growling again is odd. Explaining to people that a lot of the growls are just me. People go, wait, what? <laughs> That's another thing. I was just like, I wish I could do that when we went to record. <laughs> Because, yeah, I like I know there's like all those funky effects on it and stuff, but I'm like, no, that's all Faye, just with some effects on their voice. The unknowing, the one at the end. Yeah. Where you're carefully counting your way out of insanity, and I'm just leaning into it as a character. <laughs> it's almost like they balance each other out. Ooh, and hello. when they're not together, Basira leans too hard into her rationality, and Daisy goes absolutely balls to the wall for murder. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting take, yeah. But also they don't have someone to look out for as well as someone to look out for them. Yeah. So there's not that tether. Elias said that, wasn't it? It was just, even used almost exactly that phrase, was that Basira is Daisy's last tie to humanity or something very fucking Victorian or whatever (laughs) it was. But yeah, you can see it. God, Johnny, you're such a clever bastard. It's just like so many back and forth echoes between so many episodes. I think like everyone, I started listening to it thinking, oh, these episodes are different from the things I've been doing. There's been a lot more sort of interplay and stuff like that and watching everything, you know, build up and start getting those interconnections, the red string thing and all the rest of it. It's masterful is what it is. Just in terms of the sheer elegance of the plotting, that is still like, well, that's goals, isn't it? If I ever want to write something, even a fraction that epic. I remember talking to Johnny, just jokingly being like, hey, do you want to hear what I think is going to happen? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, I think John's going to be the ultimate end all bad guy. And I had no reason except that the opening theme reminds me of Voltaire's When You're Evil. <laughs> that was it. That was all my logic. And he just stared at me and goes, uh, so about that. Whereas the opposite way around for me, the first thing I did with him, which again was supposed to be a one-off he just casually dropped in like a ton of spoilers some of which didn't come true i've been carefully carrying these spoilers in my head going okay don't reveal that whatever you didn't materialize (laughs) but yeah like the archivist accidentally starts the apocalypse so you know that's problematic i was like what (laughs) (laughs) 
This episode is distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. For more information, visit RustyQuill.com. Tweet us at the Rusty Quill, visit us on Facebook, or email us at mail at RustyQuill.com. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi everyone. It's Helen here the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today, I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun, and see you later.